Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. I'd like to do a reading from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, if you don't mind, to start uh, this episode off. Absolutely. Camp. I'm going to skip what it means to camp camp as an outside, but camp is described as a... Something so outrageously artificial, affected, inappropriate, or out of date as to be considered amusing. But B, I feel like this is the one that uh, hits what we're going for, is A, style or mode of personal or creative expression that is absurdly exaggerated and often fuses elements of high and popular culture. So now that we have the definition out of the way, is this one of the campiest movies made? I would just like to say we've covered a lot of camp movies on this show, but nothing has ever reach the level that would require Jordan to I read to lay out, out a definition. the dictionary yes. definition. Yes. So I want so. our listeners to know if they don't, you know, maybe they're not a part of the queer community. Maybe they don't know what camp hey, is. Hey, no, it's very important. But I just think that in and of itself is an accomplishment mm. and to this movie's credit. Yes. Um, yes. I'm very excited for today. Hi, I'm Brooke Solomon. Jordan Gustafson. We love talking about cinema. We love talking about being queer. We love talking about queer cinema. Here we are talking about it on mic. Today's movie is, dare I say, the masterpiece. Um, The Brady Bunch movie from 1995. And we are joined by Drew Mackey from Gayest Episode Ever and... I would say a sitcom expert. I don't know if you would self-describe as that, but I am choosing to describe you that way. Welcome to the show. I don't know if I would self-describe as a sitcom expert, but I did record a 90-minute episode about the history of Mama's Family this morning, so I feel like that's not something most people would do to themselves willingly. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I maybe I'm forcing myself into that role. You're like, it's a blessing and a curse mm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough work to be, to be a... A, a sitcom connoisseur. I'm really excited about this episode, obviously for the movie itself, but I like our setup we have right now because we're going over Zoom. So it looks like we're in the intro to the Brady Bunch <laughs> movie or show rather, mm-hmm. you know, heads are going to start popping up. I'm going to actually come up onto the other person's screen. It's going to be crazy. Always fun when they do that. It's the fucking best. <laughs> we're very lucky to have you here because... You know, confession time, neither Jordan nor I have ever watched a single episode of the original Brady Bunch. Nope. And I do believe that you have. This was going to be my first question. So I was born in 1982. I graduated in 2000. I am an elderly millennial. By some standards, the most elderly generation, (laughs) like year of millennials that exist. And you two are considerably younger than that. And I... I grew up watching reruns of the Brady Bunch because it was a holdover of Gen X reruns of the Brady Bunch. So it's this like iconic thing of the previous generation that I got some of. But you guys were probably watching newer stuff in syndicated reruns when you were watching TV. Did you watch syndicated reruns when you were a kid? So depending on it was like a really a question of like what house I was at. Yeah. Um, But when I would go to my grandma's, I would always get like I would sneak in extra TV time. And there they had more channels than I had at my house. Oh, this is so, so 90s, 2000s. The channels, the screen Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. But I would get like that's where I got 
lot of like a lot of like Nickelodeon, not like the animated stuff, but like Guts and like Legends of the Hidden Temple was like the kids stuff. But then they had a ton of older cartoons. So I would get like all the syndicated like Flintstones, Pink Panther, like all that nonsense. But then for show shows, it was the Munsters and Green Acres were like the shows that Mm, I would weirdly always like timing wise would work out. Mm -hmm. A number one syndicated show that I had ever watched in it tried to see every episode of the twilight zone like that is my like show but i don't that doesn't feel like in the same vein as the brady bunch you know no but that i i that's very interesting to me to hear like what people were watching because we were very much like you never saw not a syndicated tv household but i will say the two tv shows that we had like box sets of uh this is you're just gonna laugh so hard it's gonna be a religious one isn't it well three uh, Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. the Andy Griffith show. Oh my God, this feels and so your family. Little House on the Prairie. Mm, um, those are pretty iconic. Yeah, those I were s- like the three. I've seen like three episodes of Little House on the Prairie and one episode traumatized me and I still remember it. And I don't know if it's what happened, but there's like a bear mm-hmm. in an episode that or something. That is a traumatizing episode. Oh. Yep. There's an episode about rats where the rats eat all the grain. That was also mm-hmm. traumatizing. There's also like a horror movie episode, right? Where yes. there's like a masked scary man. And they're just like, wouldn't it be fun if we did like a horror movie episode? It was like, guys, don't do this. Like oh generations God. of children are going to hate that you did this. And they did it. And <laughs> it just pops up in syndication. Yeah. respect Just that. shows up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That, but I th- I'm kind of surprised that we were not a Brady Bunch household. It because, feels like you would be a Brady Bunch household. Yeah. I, I, I am very impressed that we've gotten through at least five minutes of this episode without Jordan making a crack well, about how- you've never seen any movies? No, about how this movie is uh, the Solomon family in everyday life. Yes, it is. I was, ex- I was mm. expecting it right off the bat. You wake up, you bat. all sing. You walk down the stairs two inches apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that that is- what you think mm-hmm. my childhood was like. I think this, I don't know. I mean, Drew, you're way more educated on this, but I feel like this movie falls into what I'm so fascinated by is like the TV show to movie adaptation, especially like the one that happens so many years after the TV show has sort of ended mm-hmm. and like the difference between whether or not it's a nod. Cause I mean, like I've just jotted down a few that came to my mind, but there are so many more, but you have like the Beverly Hillbillies, Mission Impossible, Get Smart, 21 Jump Street, Adam's Family. Like, there are the monsters. so many. Monsters. Yeah. Oh, God. Man from Uncle. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a constant thing. But I don't know if, is this like the one that had, because it, it feels like it's viewing the Brady Bunch so satirically. Is this the only one that really like is commenting on the show versus like building off of it? The three big ones that came out in theaters before this one are the Adams Family, which is just like heightening what was already there with the Adams Family. Right. And then Beverly Hillbillies, which made uh, about as much money as this one did. Mm. And that one is different because they're outsiders on their show anyway. So right. when the movie's playing it up and putting them in modern day Los Angeles, it's not as big as like the Brady's were normal in their context. And we're just like blowing this out as much as possible and contrasting sunny 70s optimism with whatever grungy attitude was going on in the 90s for like maximum effect. And so I say this is the first one that's like using the difference in culture to for like artistic effect. Mm. Yeah. Artistic effect, I think, is a really good way to put it because... Also, you know, the Adams Family is iconic as a TV show, but a lot of the ones you just mentioned, Mission Impossible, like Mm -hmm. The Man from Uncle, were obviously like good shows in their heyday, Get Smart, but kind of like 
I, I don't know, maybe this is um, because of the age we are, but I'm, I tend to associate with the movies much oh, more for sure, yeah. than the actual oh, show. Yeah. No, um, totally. I mean, so, like Wild Wild West, I didn't even know that was a show before I had seen the movie, sort of a thing. 21 you know Jump I mean? Street, same right. thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, but Inspector this is Gadget. like the Brady Bunch as a show is so iconic mm-hmm. that you have no choice but to build off of like the iconography and like everything that created the show in the first place whereas things like mission impossible <laughs> inspector right. gadget you are although inspector gadget is a weird bad movie yeah. weird movie like you're able to build and spin off and make it its own thing but i i really think that this movie is so impressive in the way that it does both of those it is like its own thing completely um but it's also like an episode of the show right. in many ways it's like an elongated episode right yeah Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship, Drew, with this movie, the Brady Bunch as a whole? Was it like a top show for you? Was it just one you sort of watched? How do you sort of feel about the the Brady family at large? So when I was a kid, there was a period in the summer where they had like morning cartoons. And then like at 10 o'clock when morning cartoons ended, they had an hour of Brady Bunch reruns. And mm. it was just the thing I would continue to watch. And I didn't I was young enough that I didn't understand what time periods were. So I knew there was something about it that looked weird, but I didn't know that like Cindy Brady was not the same age as me, that she was like a full on adult at that point and would not want to hang out with me. Um, (laughs) So, and then also I thought it was for kids. I didn't know it was a grown up show. And my parents were old enough that they had never watched it because they were like, older teenagers when it came out. So there's like, mm. why would we watch this show for babies and families? That's that's dumb. And I just powered through the reruns because like there's not that many of us. I think it's seven seasons and you can get through the entire series run pretty quickly and was in a perfect shape to have all these episodes memorized to appreciate the hell out of this movie when it came out in 1994. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. It's so interesting because like obviously the Brady Bunch, the prototypical like classic American family, the nuclear family without actually being like nuclear, you know, they're right, the two mm-hmm. halves brought together. Perfect in every way, shape, or form, the like what every blended family should be. Um, I'm curious, like, Drew, how did do you feel like your relationship with kind of like what the show represents changed when you were like going into kind of like this movie, looking at it like as someone who was a little bit older? than when you were watching the original show? I think I never had conversations with like kids my age about why the Brady Bunch was weird. Although we did talk about something that comes up in this movie where like you never see a toilet in the entire yes. show. And that yeah. is super weird. It's like, that is a lot of people do not have a toilet. Uh, that's just not something they showed back then. But um, I didn't, kn- I hadn't really thought about all the ways it was like kind of lame. And then didn't really know you could do what this sh- movie was doing which is taking a text and like reinterpreting it in like the camp way that you're describing um when i finally learned what camp was i was like oh like the Brady bunch movie okay yeah that is how i'm gonna try to like remember <laughs> that's how the bar this <laughs> right i mean in so many ways like just yeah. like it make making fun of it in a loving tribute way and also as i got older i was like oh they're making fun of like how horny <laughs> this show is yes like, this is a very horny movie there are yeah. so many quotes i wrote down that were just like horny references i mean gene smart's character on the whole is like horny incarnate like legend go to horny jail icon she's like you, you look just like your dad and you're growing whatever right in front of my eyes or whatever it is yes. it's like oh okay i gotta say yeah. gene smart is such a fucking hottie in oh, this yeah. movie mm-hmm. i mean in every role but i was like oh my god yeah. 90s gene smart mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Michael McKean does not deserve her in this movie. No, no. I yeah. mean, great performance by him. Although I love him love so Michael much. McKean. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing is that it's like not only is the script so smart and campy and like has all these sexual innuendo references that are not too gross. It mostly I, I was also very impressed that I would say probably 95 percent of the movie avoids not aging well like right. it, it on the whole has aged oh, yeah. incredibly well oh my god yeah like they're not making fun of the lesbian girl like initially watching the movie you're like oh, are they just going to be shitting on this like lesbian this queer girl the entire time they don't really surprisingly they like she gets a character arc and she's like a strong fleshed out character which is crazy and then considering how it is a time period movie where it's one time period commenting commenting on another like it somehow avoids getting too dated it's very very strange yeah. how they pulled that off yeah y- yeah it, it's quite impressive and it still manages to be like just the right amount of raunchy and like you know winky winky in mm-hmm. a camp way i mean i think like uh, we we should talk about the rupaul cameo right. in depth but the like that i think is a perfect example of like how the show slips in the more adult mm-hmm. references like so seamlessly so much so that i didn't catch like a good number of them taking I, in I, the rear oh it must be the paper boy must be the paper boy again yeah. that's his business <laughs> like the, these lines that are just like coming out of nowhere it's so good um but yes it's not mean-spirited no. at all no surprisingly no it's mean-spirited when everyone thinks that cindy is annoying and seems to agree that and everyone hates jan but like that's her that's her character arc is that everyone just does not care about her yes. and she's enough of a presence that you don't feel too bad for her you're like she's good she's yeah. doing her own thing also she's, uh yeah yeah jennifer elise cox who plays jan brady should have been nominated like for slowly an going Academy insane Award. Th- this performance is it's incredibly so good what's the i yeah. love when what's the littlest brady girl cindy. when cindy gets like the voice in the head at the end is like such a beautiful little end stinger where she starts hearing and talking to herself incredible incredible mm-hmm. yeah once again we will talk about jan's arc in depth but if it's not clear because i don't know how many people have actually seen this movie mm. maybe if you're a brady bunch devotee but also i was looking on letterbox and i have a good amount of friends who are like oh yeah 10 out of 10 masterpiece like this is one of my favorite movies this is a film in which the original brady bunch of the 70s played by new actors that it's uncanny casting really incredible Absolutely casting bananas casting um are transported into 1995 but it's it's never explained if they have lived there since the 70s and just haven't aged if they happen to be this family (laughs) that just or they're just your family uh, plopped into the 70s (laughs) in the 90s like yeah it's basically just a couple days in their lives the central conflict is that evil neighbor michael mckean wants everyone on the block to move and uh cash out for some good money and the brady's the last standing vestige of you know american morality refused to move um he built that house he laid all that brick yep oh he's he laid that brick all right and uh they have to come up with twenty thousand dollars by the end of the week which this movie spans uh if they want to save the house and guess what they do it brooke spoiler (laughs) alert (laughs) as if it could end any other way um right that's what i mean about it not being mean-spirited is like it's incredibly compelling even though you never doubt for a moment that they're gonna come up with what they need right 
Yeah. It's just the how. Like any old sitcom is, you know it's going to end well, and you still are watching for 20 minutes, and you're like, why did I watch this? This didn't really do anything. It is like wrapping yourself in a comfortable blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a media experience, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, that is what the best sitcoms do, is they, like, give you compel, they give you comfort, and they give you compelling characters and mm-hmm. arcs, and, like, you know there's artistry to this kind of like feel good ism because you really have to walk a fine line. So it's not like so happy go lucky that you just feel like there's no point in watching. Was there a sick, cause I mean like we get it now, but I guess like, was there a definitive sitcom that like broke that's like that left audiences like sad or things like that were like was upsetting or was it just sort of like a whole or different that tackled ball game? something that was yeah. like better than after school specials where it like actually tackled well i mean you get more of those like there will be like obviously episodes of tv that have yeah, that but something that was where that was like ingrained into the actual like text of the show <sighs> I'm, I'm gonna go with all in the family for this yeah. one because yeah. that show was a challenging show to watch anyway and then um there are episodes there, there's specifically an episode where they uh kill off a trans character on christmas is her christmas episode and it's oh, devastating and like the mom questions her faith because she's fairly devout christian and she uh stops believing in god it's very very heavy but uh <sighs> that was the first norman Lear sitcom to be like this is hard. Deal with it. And right. America yeah. loved it somehow. It was just extra crazy that they just were like, give us more. Teach us about life and learning Norman Lear. But I'm going to I'm going to say that one. Yeah. And then um, like uh, every one that does that subsequently is kind of doing it in Norman Lear's image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Norman Lear, one of our... Still alive, still kicking it, King. I know. It's bananas. I don't know how he does it. World's oldest man. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think what you were saying, mm-hmm. though, the, the, in terms of aging, I think, like, the queerness is what I was so sort of shocked by and, like, taken aback. Because, like, we've had this on our list for a while, and a lot of people say that this movie's gay, the sequel, which I shockingly have not seen either but like noreen is so she's like well fleshed out and she feels like such a like there's the call obviously like the classic like gay best friend but it never feels too gay best friendy and i sort of love that because the brady's are so weird in this world that like Marsha kind of has to be her friend like she has to be friends mm-hmm. with this weird lesbian because like she's also weird but in a different way and mm-hmm. so like they're they have these two polar opposite types that would never usually bond but are sort of forced to be together. And then, so of course, Noreen like has the biggest fucking crush on her. Like it makes sense. And it's kind of this mm-hmm. amazing combination where Noreen, who is played by Alani Yubak, who, by the way, if anyone is interested in contemporary pop culture, currently plays Cassie and Maddie, Cassie and who's Maude Apatow's character? Oh, the mom? The mom on oh, Euphoria. Uh, she plays Suze, uh-huh. an icon, a legend. She showed up and I was like, I know who that I is. I know that face. Let me go on IMDb and that is who she plays. Yeah. Um, and by the way, it's an incredible performance on Euphoria yes. and in this movie. I love that like... Marsha is so oblivious in general that like it actually makes perfect sense that she wouldn't realize that her best friend has a massive crush on her because she doesn't realize that the super hot guy trying to take her out wants to get in her pants like it it works it's as if she doesn't understand what sex is in a way yeah so of course (laughs) like she definitely wouldn't know that gay people exist that wouldn't that just plus she's so into herself that like yeah she would have to spend five minutes listening to Noreen to actually get where this woman is coming from and she just doesn't do it Yes. Yeah. But, Noreen, is that your leg? Uh, oh, I thought it was my sorry. own leg. <laughs> Great. Um, I First of all, the second that Noreen showed up, I was like, 
lesbian. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a gay character for real. Um, <laughs> And I really appreciated she gets a girlfriend yes. at the end. It's not, yeah. you know, if you're looking, it's pretty obvious, even mm-hmm. though they don't kiss or anything. But first of all, there is some incredible poetic justice to the kind of like canonical lesbian character and the girl who is just making out with like douchebag quarterback Mm -hmm. popular guy to get together um Mm -hmm. we love that and i really appreciated that like you have noreen get over her crush of marcia when she realizes that marcia is never going to notice her because she refuses to notice anybody besides herself Mm -hmm. and like have her both get over that and get a new girlfriend all in the span of like five minutes iconic and it's like alana yubak does not have a ton of scenes but she is incredibly effective in Mm -hmm. the screen time that she has and like really sells us on like we know exactly like what's going on here um she doesn't overplay it she's very sincere she's very cute yeah do it reminded me a lot of janice ian and mean girls was like my i just kept thinking about like the regina george and her relationship felt like very emblematic except that one's a little obviously more toxic because regina george like makes her like a loser in the school in mean girls janice isn't a lesbian right that's like the whole right, right. Thing. it's the whole bit yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so kind of crazy yeah. not, wild. not as progressive i was a nerdy little kid who used to read the paper uh back when i was in like in middle school because <laughs> i wanted to feel like a grown-up and then I was reading the living section and there was a letter to like the arts editor about how they took this horrible woman took her family to see the Brady Bunch movie because she like grew up with the Brady Bunch and loved it and then was very offended by this positive portrayal of a gay woman. And it was like normalizing gay people and her <laughs> dare they. That and she wanted to leave the theater. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. And uh, like she thinks she's complaining, but she's actually just describing like what the screenwriters were doing there. It's like, what right. if a gay character who's not punished and doesn't suck? And that'd be nice. And America will go <laughs> see this familiar family and have to find themselves cheering for like a queer woman. Mm-hmm. And that is the most awesome thing in the world. And that is definitely like a whole planned strategy of normalizing queer representation that I think worked. And that pisses yeah. the woman off. And then she had to write the paper about it. It's hilarious. That's and then so she funny. just exposed herself in front of everyone. And like, you still remember it to this day. Yeah. Like Normalizing yeah. queerness is pr- or How probably dare like the funniest thing I've ever heard. How dare they normalize <laughs> gay people start using in society. That. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that like, that's another aspect of what makes this film so successful. Because if you, it feels like if you enjoyed the Brady Bunch, you could enjoy this movie. But if you enjoyed the negative aspects of what the Brady Bunch like could represent. Like if you and your bad faith readings of like good old fashioned America mm. um, involved mm. in the Brady Bunch, you'll probably hate this movie. Right. Um, and so it's an homage while like kind of, it feels like sneakily cutting out the people that want to be like the Brady Bunch is back from when America had real values. And, you know, we didn't have yeah. any of these things like gay people or, right. you know, people right, of right, color right, right, right. or grunge music influencing our, our pure country. And I, I appreciate that. Oh God. Yeah. Even though everyone, every human who grew up with the, the Brady Bunch and paid enough attention to them to go back and watch this movie would have also known that the real Mike Brady, Robert Reed himself was gay and died of AIDS. And that is another yeah. reason that it's great that there's so much on screen gayness in this movie, mm. because he was a person who was very tortured by the fact that like, he didn't really want to be a sitcom dad. He just kind of got stuck doing that and was like, well, it's a job. I'm, I guess I have to be happy about that. Yeah. But, um, was gay the entire time, was out to his castmates, but like was publicly in a closet and mm. I probably there's no way that could have not done a number on him mentally. Totally. Yeah. The public closet is 
sort of like obviously it's very difficult but it is sort of fascinating to me and kind of just like a, a, a historical context because like I imagine that it's still very much a thing today and like the closer you get to like inner circles of celebrities like the more that you learn and that's like a really good example of like someone who was out to his castmates and like um I know you had some research about this as well right and kind of like how his castmates would support him like yeah whoever the mm. I'm terrible at the The original Mrs. original Mrs. Brady like helped rehearse like intimate scenes so he wouldn't feel uncomfortable which is so tender and kind of her to do at that time yeah and right. i think was like an advocate for him with like the directors mm-hmm. and like the creative forces yeah. of the show um and she mm-hmm. has a cameo in this movie as the grandma mm-hmm. of incredible the Brady looking honestly oh my god first yeah. of all sexy grandma and yeah. seeing her and shelly long next to each other is mm-hmm. bananas They look so similar. The whole cast is, like we said it already, is crazy. But like Gary Cole is unbelievably good in this movie. And I feel like he's sort of just a guy that you always think about and like he'll pop up and stuff. But he's like incredibly funny and has been in so many iconic roles in movies. And I don't know if we like talk about that enough. Oh, no. I am a huge Gary Cole fan. We've unlocked it. Sure. Mostly because of Veep. Veep is where I like Uh, first was mm. familiarized with him. And he is my favorite character in Veep and is like stealthily one of the best performances in Veep. Who does he play in Veep? He's so funny. So he plays basically, he plays Kent. He plays the numbers guy. The sort of like the you know, original kind of like bit about him is that he's essentially like a human computer, right? He has no feelings. He's like never romantically connected to anybody. It's just like mm-hmm. him and his his number machine, you know? Okay, okay. Um, but he's just like, he's so deadpan and like- It's the office space sort of so thing. So funny, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's really incredible in that show. And every time I have seen him in something, first of all, another very, very good looking actor. <laughs> oh my God. But like every time I see him in something, I'm like, damn, not only does the man- like kill it but he has insane comedic range yes he does yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i mean the interplay between him and shelly long is fantastic i love the scene where they're about to like make out and have sex on the chair (laughs) and like the kids come down and they just remain in the position and no (laughs) one mentions it so it's just like oh hey mom and dad how are you doing it's like I'm fine. How are you? Mm-hmm. It's so good. The fact that they do it twice, it's like, because mm-hmm. they also have the air mattress when Cindy comes in and right. they're like about to have sex. I'm a huge fan of, like we said, acknowledging the fact that the original show was like horny. horny. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I know that like by the 70s, I think, and Drew, feel free to like prove me wrong, but I feel like by the 70s, America had kind of accepted like in sitcom land that adults did sleep in the same bed. Mm-hmm. But I was still a little bit surprised when it like cut to their bedroom for the first time and I was like, oh, they're in the same bed. Great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They they are in the same bed in the TV show. They are a little uh, more restrained in suggesting that they have sex, but they are very into each other. And I think part of the thing is, is the second marriage for both of them. So this is like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the one like where we're, we're going to get it right. And they're still like newly married for most of the run of the show. They just, they're a husband and wife who like each other. And that's another nice thing to normalize that like TV marrieds don't have to hate each other already. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Like I love that. I I kind of love, like, what a healthy depiction of family this is. I mean, obviously, like, it's meant to be that way. But I think to that point, um, 
Uh, since you brought up the Adams family earlier, that was a TV also show a where it was like TV show. Uh, the fact that the two adults love each other was yeah. considered yeah. like a teardown of like American society was considered like what's like the most horrifying like off culture thing that audiences will still also like oh. a husband being like, oh, I love my wife. Oh, I love my wife. Oh, I love my husband. So do you want to know why? So this is something that was recently explained to me that I did not understand. But someone explained to me that Adam's Family and the Munsters are both about uh, Anglo-American dread of ethnic people moving into their neighborhood and not shedding their native identity, not assimilating mm-hmm. and like continuing their customs, which would be weird to everyone else, which is why these families are just like the epitome of weird. And mm-hmm. one of the things that Gomez and Morticia should do is they fuck. And that's something that like waspy people don't like to broadcast that they have like amorous, passionate feelings for each other. But like all these other races that are moving to America, they might. And that was scary to Americans. And so Mm. this is like trying to put that in a light that people could find funny at least and like make less weird. Normalize, normalize boning, essentially. Normalize fucking. Let's do it. No, it's so, it's Um, honestly so true. I like growing up, like I, I weirdly like the Monsters was always on more. And so I became more of a Monsters kid, even though in retrospect, I think the Adams Family, more the second movie, the is like a, like a perfect movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk about No Damn. notes. Right. Excellent. But like growing up with the Monsters, it was a thing that I would always notice where it's like, oh, like this is like a healthy family. Like everyone here gets along because then you like cut to some dumb show and it's just always like a husband being like, oh, my wife goes to like the bar yeah. to complain with his boys. And it's sort of like why I love... Like, I've really gotten into The Simpsons uh, since the pandemic. And, like, I would watch before and stuff like that. But, like, Homer and Marge really do love each other. And, like, there Mm -hmm. is a lot of episodes just about, like, how both they, like, care deeply. And even though Homer is, like, obviously a fucking idiot. But, like, I love the emotional relationship that they have. Because, like, they do fuck a lot in the show. They are so romantic. And it's so nice to see, like that intimacy and it's like what this movie's doing is what we're saying it's like cool when people are in love and shows aren't afraid to like dig into that mm-hmm. yeah yeah it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be boring either which i think is the right. worry for a lot of people writing those things totally totally yeah, yeah it can be fun and like i i love that the brady bunch movie sort of like acknowledges yes we love each other but also like we're sexually attracted to each other and right. like even a little mm-hmm. bit of like the difficulties about trying to be intimate when you have six children yeah running around it's like cheaper by the dozen your mine and ours or whatever right. like well, all I those mean, movies the cheaper by the dozen movie i feel like is a good sort of like contrast yeah where it's like the parents and that are really well it's like not... all the kids don't really love each other they're all yeah. fighting all the time yeah yeah even though i mean that movie has its moments oh, but steve martin of course um and and the tv show has its moments but yeah um i also think that like so in the original show both of the parents are widowed, right? Neither of them are divorced. Carol is widowed. I believe Mike is divorced, but don't. I, Let's I, see. I, I think they, they, they treat it. I think Carol's explicitly a widow. I don't think they ever say that Mike's wife is dead or just gone. Oh, okay. Uh, I, should, um, I should know that, but I don't. I'm on the Wikipedia. You were very close. It's actually the opposite, it looks like. Mike is widowed. The show never addressed what happened to Carol's first husband. Maybe he mysteriously disappeared and she got a so really that, good life insurance that, settlement. I don't know. That that is the plot of the, that's the plot of the second movie. Oh ah. my god. Oh right. Her his her mysterious first husband, but he's actually a con man who appears. Yeah. I was yeah. who, uh, who plays the husband? Um, Tim Matheson. 
Ooh. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to go from this like recording and just watch the second movie, <laughs> even though we'll for sure cover it. I think it's very funny. It's not doing as much of an art project as this movie is, mm-hmm. but it's funny enough that I didn't really care, and it makes me laugh about as much as this movie does. Um, that movie is written by a few people, but um, someone I know is one of the credited writers on that movie. And he did an uncredited polish on this movie. Ah. And he's a gay person. And he takes some credit for some of the gay humor in it. He also takes credit for the casting of RuPaul. Because they came down to casting the guidance counselor. And he was like, oh, like I know this drag performer who they're playing at the video bars in West Hollywood. I don't know what video bars are, but that, that was what he told me about. And... Uh, RuPaul is not a known thing to straight audiences. This is the thing that introduced RuPaul to straight audiences. Uh, It was a real get for them and for RuPaul to get in this movie. Oh, gotcha. When does this come out? Also, before uh, Cheerleader, right? Because that's Cheerleader's 99. But I'm a Cheerleader is 99. Yeah. 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 That's, That's amazing. Wild. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. Wow. I was astonished when RuPaul came I was, on screen. Like, I it was like jaw dropping more moment. shocked. I was like, that sounds like RuPaul. And yeah. then um, as RuPaul, Mrs. Cummings, I was going to say RuPaul plays a guidance counselor. <laughs> Could not possibly be named anything else. They dropped that name also like as a joke mm-hmm. late in the scene. Yes. And I think I, like, I, I think, yeah. I think that's her name. I think it's her name in the show as well, though. I think her name was uh, Miss Cummings in the original, played by not RuPaul, but that's what makes it all <laughs> the better now. Yes. Yes. I mean, that seems incredible. I love that because it's like, what are you, suicidal, depressed, on oh, whatever? And she's like, oh, no, I'm just like hearing voices in my head, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, she actually says, I just don't want to wear my glasses. Right. And then it turns out that Jan might be a paranoid schizophrenic. Yes, for We're sure. sure. She, has, she has some issues, yeah. 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 But I thought that that was amazing. And I also loved that part of Jan's arc was like getting self-confidence from a drag queen and like they combine it with the cover girl needle drop. (laughs) It's excellent. I could not have been more shocked. It was maybe the highlight of the movie for me. Although I will say I was extremely excited for, I've never heard of a George Glass who goes to our school. And then I realized that that is in, a very Brady sequel instead of this one, mm-hmm. which was a little sad. Mm-hmm. However, we still have the iconic Marshall line, but Jan, you don't have any friends. That's um, that, which was amazing. A plus. Marsha is a savage. Uh, I love the, I mean, like we could like literally just do all of the quotes, but it's like the tattling and the um, one about like riding on your, it's like, wait, Cindy, you know, by tattling on your friends, you're really just tattling on yourself by tattling on your friends. You're telling them that you're a tattletale. Now, is that a tale you want to tell? <laughs> so good. This is, that's, I feel like that's extremely like Jordan humor. Jordan core. Yes. Right. The whole like, movie is Jordan core. The little core. bit of the tongue twister, the little bit yes. of the, yes. I mean, any movie where the parents call their six-year-old child to snitch to her face. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're like reaming her out. Yep. The protection line where he has assorted colors and textures. Yes. It's a French kiss. Mm -hmm. I thought you were from Nebraska. Just keep going. It's hard to pick a favorite. I also appreciate how, speaking of Gary Cole and his incredible performance in this movie, they really like play up the over sincerity well the over sincerity of everybody but the over sincerity of like the mike brady platitudes Mm. where Mm. he's like too there's like that moment at the end where he's being like as long as we're the brady's we'll stick together and even if we don't have this house we will have a home because we stick together because we're the brady's (laughs) and like it just keeps going um and that to me feels like a a a perfect little in joke even not knowing not being familiar with um 
the original show. The same for thing sure. for the dog line about their dog yeah, tiger. Where's that I, dog? Yeah. I read was like an in joke. Uh, they the got rid of the dog. They just, the, the dog was written off into obscurity and never mentioned again. And in Kinda this version that. of Peter apparently just ran away. Yeah. <laughs> the rules. Hey, listen, you got six kids to take care of. You're going to maybe let the dog slip away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a cat, too. The cat also gets written out. There's they, they, no. they try to stuff a lot more into that pilot than they possibly need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to Gary Cole's delivery of those like uh, overly sincere lines. I am always impressed because I've seen this movie quite a few times. I'm always watching Shelley Long during these scenes because mm. her performance is very good in yes. general, but like she's performing a supportive wife who's supportive for her husband no matter what. And she keeps trying to like transition into what she's going to say. And then he keeps talking. She's like, okay, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And like with perfect patience is just lingering through her husband's badly written speech it's just very nicely done all off the script acting that uh i'm sure she thought a lot about oh totally off the script acting is a really good way to put it because she has to do a lot of that she's Mm -hmm. not like Mm -hmm. the most effusive character and she delivers that your father's right kids line like at least two or three times and really makes it different and interesting every single time Mm -hmm. and like her embroidery bits mm-hmm. are incredible. Like it's a, it's yeah. a. It, I mean, I think every performance in this is surprisingly well pitched, given that you have to deal with like, I mean, eight main characters. Totally, and everyone has six of whom are children. Right, four of whom mm-hmm. are like young children, and everyone is like knows what is up. I'm sure there's a lot of very good editing, and obviously it's a good script, but. Yeah, no, like totally. you, you get the sense that everyone is the correct amount in on the joke and understands not only what they have to do individually, but what they have to do as part of the family unit and mm-hmm. whatever the scene is to really make it work across the board. Like this is, this feels like a movie that could fall apart extremely easily. Yes. And it yes. never does. I think the credit should go to Betty Thomas, the director, say, yeah. who for a while this was... Um, an early example of like, look, female directors can direct a comedy that makes money. Right. What? what? And now there's been a lot more that have made more money than this one. So it's not on those lists as often anymore. But uh, it's a really interesting story with her and Shelley Long. Do you guys, okay, wait, do you guys know that much about, what do you guys know about Shelley Long actually in her career? So like, I've only seen like three episodes of Cheers despite growing up mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. I was going to say shocking number I know. one Boston boy. Right. But know. Shelley Long, obviously a regular on Cheers. Right. But then I saw mm-hmm. way more Frasier growing up. Like Frasier, my parents, because like, maybe my dad was like, because I'm a psychologist, I love Frasier. But like Frasier was <laughs> way more on. So like I didn't know, like the Cheers to Frasier relationship I didn't have in my brain until I was much older. But that's all I basically knew. And I know nothing. <laughs> So can I, can I, so I have, so Shelly Long means a great deal to me and I'll promise I'll get through this as quickly as I can. Can oh, I no. take your time? Take my theory your time. of Shelly Long as a queer icon that every queer person should know about? Yes. yes. Okay, so first season of Cheers, she's like a star. There's like amazing chemistry with her and Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. And in, that continues in the second season. I think in the third season, that's when they introduce Kelsey Grammer as Frasier, who's a new love interest for Diane. And it changes the show in that he quickly becomes popular enough that he's opening cast. And she'd always been the one who was trying to elevate everyone and try to make them have uh, bigger ambitions to know art and culture and all that. But once Fraser joined the show, he kind of took over that role for 
her and she became like sort of a nag in yeah. a way that she didn't love. And it was still, it was more popular than it ever was, but she was just not getting the script she wanted. And I think she was on it for five or six seasons. I can't remember exactly what year it was that she left. But at some point she's like, you know what? I think I'm going to go make some movies because she had made some movies that were successful back in the day. And she's like, this is great, but I want to do my own thing. And everyone got mad at her because they're like, we're an ensemble show. And if you leave, we need another woman on the show because otherwise <laughs> it's thrown off the balance and it's just Rhea Perlman. Yeah. And she was like, I understand. That's nice of you, but I want to go do my thing. And everyone made fun of her for leaving because they're so like, annoying. you left this like environment where you were essentially comfortable and you could have stayed comfortable for a long time and you have to try to be a movie star when you might fail. What is wrong with you? And I feel like this is a queer person's journey of being like, I could come out or I could just like do what I'm doing right now and just live quietly and safely, but like know that it was not what I personally wanted. And she did what queer people do. And it's like, I got to go be myself. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. Even if everyone's making fun of me, this is what I want to do. And to this day, people were like, oh, she was a failure. She should have never done that. And her movies didn't end up making a whole lot of money. She was in this movie with Bette Midler called Outrageous Fortune, though, which came out right before she left Cheers. Mm. And it is a buddy comedy, but it's a female-female buddy comedy. Oh. And it came out the same year as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which mm. is a movie everyone has seen, which is a buddy comedy on its own. True guys, yeah. Her movie made more money. Her movie made more money than Plane, Trains, and Automobile, and no one remembers it because people don't remember the accomplishments of people who are not straight, white, cisgender men, and they act like she was a complete failure at the box office, and she wasn't, and then the first movie she made after she left Cheers was Troop Beverly Hills, which is this like iconic movie for little queer boys and yeah. little girls from the 80s, uh, and... The villain in that movie is Betty Thomas, who is, is the director okay. of this movie. So by then, she had a reputation for being difficult because she was a female actor who's like had standards about yeah. like how things should be done and like voiced her concerns. She was like, I think it should be like this. So they're like, well, you're difficult now. And it is interesting that the thing that finally made her a success at the box office is someone that knew her had been in a movie with her, knew what she was like. And even if Betty Thomas hated her, she was still like, you're the right person for this role. Let's have you star in this. And second of all, it was her returning to the TV medium, right. which is what she wanted to get away from. And there's some amount of like eating crow at having to make a TV movie that's like, which is your, your return to the big screen. But it did work. And she finally got her like successful movie, the first of the two Brady Bunch movies. And, um, I like that she did it on her own terms. I like that she didn't care that everyone thought she was crazy and throwing her life away. And she's like, nope, I'm happy. I'm doing my own weird thing. First of all, incredible. I, I like, she's just one of those actresses who is extremely good. But like you said, just flew under the radar because of mostly circumstances that are related to like shitty society things. Yeah. Um, but I, she, She's giving such like a I feel like queer iconic performance in this mm. too. I was getting big Ellen Green and Little Shop of Horrors vibes. Hundred percent, yes. In the mm -hmm. it just in the way that she is like performing femininity it's and a, like uh, yeah. doing this like whole 50s thing. Fifties feminine where she's like, who's gonna hand out the sandwiches that are made for me or whatever? You know, like <laughs> that like where it's like. I'm just like in the house. I'm a mother mm -hmm. M, you know? Yes. Yes. Mother with a capital right. M. Um, 
And she's so good. And I, I really appreciate on sort of like the queer icon front, the fact that a big part of the reason that she left Cheers was to, you know, do her own thing. Like you said, to not be comfortable to like pursue what she was interested in, but also because the show had stopped valuing her right. in a particular yeah. way. Like she yeah. understood that there is a limit to like how much people will tolerate you being difficult, AKA having standards and like, will again, if you're not kind of in the straight white guy mm-hmm. camp, especially at this period of time, like you will get turned into the nag or the punchline unless you mm-hmm. choose to quote unquote, be difficult and like forge your own path. And I think that like yeah. that in and of itself is like also very queer, um, yeah. but you'll get turned into, you'll get flattened into something unless you like take up space for yourself. Totally. Yeah. They'll turn you into what they want to turn you in. They'll, they'll push you yeah. into the hole they're trying to push you into. And then you're just stuck there. And that's sad. Yeah. yeah. I also think that like that sort of mentality is a big reason why this movie, the Brady Bunch movie works because obviously the Brady's are a very specific slice of America, but it does not feel like they're being forced into that box. It actually feels like everyone is trying to force them into another slightly more annoying kind of like quote unquote cool box. And they're extremely comfortable with being pretty lame. Yeah, like um, none of them yeah. really care. And, yes. None of them really care. And like they are oblivious, but they're they're not so oblivious that we pity them. I think like we mm-hmm. we sort of even though they are kind of like the in-universe losers of this movie, we want them to succeed not really because they're underdogs, but because they're extremely comfortable they're in who innocent, they are. Almost too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but not so innocent that you're like, oh right. my no. god, like get a clue. It's, it's we're, the whole carjacking thing. Like that yes. is why because it's like yeah. they are so of that time that they, it's just like the disconnect, but the sincerity with it as well like mm-hmm. not realizing that you're being carjacked but then like going along and being nice to it like all of like they're just so nice to people and i think trusting yeah which makes it so easy to buy into like their side of things where you have like michael mckeon being like a slimy sleaze ball you know yeah i think that like the carjacking is a good example because i think that it never takes it too far. The sort of conclusion to the carjacking arc is that they run into the carjacker again and they basically like, you know, kill him with kindness their way into a police escort. But the youngest boy, which one is he? Bobby, who is the the safety monitor, like basically quotes penal codes to the police officers and like that's how they get a ride. It's not just like, well, we don't understand what's going on here. He's like, listen, I am coming in here informed and I will tell you why you should like bend the rules for us. Like they have enough wherewithal that we like them and we were like, yes, Mm -hmm. we, we, we care about you. You know what is a hallmark of all family movies? What? Matching outfits. Wow, really good call. And, you know, I think that the best place to get a matching outfit to really Mm. show your solidarity to your family, found family, real family, a bunch, maybe? Brady Bunch adjacent family is Super Yaki. Wow, oh, God, I didn't Uh, see that one coming. Who could have seen that? How did you get me? Now, listen, we know Super Yaki. Oh, boy, do we. But. There is something for everyone. You want to coordinate. You want to match. You want something in every size, every Mm. cut. Sometimes multiple options, sweatshirts, t-shirts, long sleeves, what have you. Oh, my God. The Brady family's reeling. Super Yaki has got you hooked up. So if you want to rival the Brady's in, I don't know, every possible way, but especially (laughs) fashion sense. Okay, Gene Smart. You should go straight 
to superyaki.com because you can order from them and feel good about who you're ordering from and the stuff that you're ordering. Why is that? Well, Super Yaki creates tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can and you should wear with pride. They screen print with eco-friendly water-based inks. They ship with compostable poly mailers. They are all these things are good. The some of the sweetest people that we've ever met, and uh, we can't recommend them enough. And guess what? What? Guess what? What? I don't know about the Brady Bunch, but we are the QQ Bunch yes, over we are. here on the pod. And as such, we have a friends and family discount for oh you. Oh my God. Just for you. That's Join how much the we bunch. care. Join the bunch. You can use code SuperQQ at SuperYaki checkout for 10% off your purchase. That's SuperQQ, all caps, no spaces. So if you want to join the fam, you know where to go. SuperYaki.com. S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Join the bunch? Join the fam. No, I mean, I think it all, as we were saying right before you talked about Shelley Long, I think it is very much a Betty Thomas thing. Like, I think she has such a strong grasp of directing Mm -hmm. and, like, how to direct a, like, satire that, like, pulls elements from... Because the movie's obviously shot very similar to how, like, a sitcom setup would be while adding cinematic elements to it at times. So being able to, like, Mm. use that, direct the actors enough to have the proper pitch is, like, a very difficult thing to do. So for her to do that, I think it's it's really something. And obviously she like found success in other things. Like Dr. Doolittle was a fucking huge movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and like John Tucker Must Die. I was going to say also John Tucker Must Die. And we I will cover at some point. Iconic movie. Right, right. Um, I've, I've never actually seen that movie. I don't know anything about it. I just know the title. I'm like, hmm, wonder why. wonder why he has to die. He's a sleazeball is what he is. That John Tucker. He's got to die. That John Tucker. That's, that's <laughs> okay. a a classic kind of like mid 2000s it really should be gayer than it yes. is but it's still queer it's enough a little, to cover yeah. it yeah is wait, is ashanti in that movie might be that's a great question haven't okay. seen that movie in ages uh yes yes okay. she is okay it's, britney snow's okay. the lead mm-hmm. britney snow ashanti okay. and i think it's sophia bush yeah yeah yes. that is quite the female lineup in mm-hmm. and <laughs> penn badgley of course Oh, was yeah. he on Gossip Girl at the time? Um, it's 2006. When did Gossip Girl start? Um, t- so it was right before Gossip Girl. Oh, interesting. What yeah. a what a what a interesting point in time. Okay. He's hmm. he's not the titular John Tucker. He is John Tucker's younger brother who's kind of like the secret sneaky love interest. Mm-hmm. But basically it's a well, do you want me to tell you the premise or would you just like to experience it? I, I spoilers don't bother me. Um, being spoiled for a movie has never prevented me from enjoying a movie. Okay. Well, I won't tell you what actually transpires, but the reason that John Tucker must die is because he simu- simultaneously dates three girls in school and they hire basically like hire aka recruit through friendship the new girl to seduce him and like break his heart um as revenge. Oh for dating all of them at the same time it's shenanigans classic yes (laughs) i thought it was gonna i thought it was going in a much more heather's direction um it should have gone in the heather's direction it's more like along the lines of easy a yes um yeah okay i'm comfortable with that i that would make sense that it's more along the lines of easy a because i believe betty thomas also went on to direct the alvin and the chipmunks movies Mm -hmm. the squeak wool yep just the squeak wool but like oh just just the squeak which made like 
a bonkers amount of money. So yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. good for you, lady. I, I, th- I hope you enjoy that check. Yes, she she like hasn't done anything really since. She's undoubtedly a very a very rich woman. She directed some Grace and Frankie, and she has a couple also like very sneaky executive producer credits that I'm sure made her a lot of money. See Charlie's Angels 2000, which as we all know made like a lot mega of bank. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah, she, she's, I, it seems like she like pops into direct TV when needed, mm-hmm. but you know, she's kind of like done her time. She's, thriving. she's directed yeah. plenty of stuff. Yeah. Um, right. I, if, if I had that sort of money, I would spend most of my time enjoying being rich also. Yes. Yes. That is, that I is the goal. I would not stress myself out on set or anything. <laughs> I would like to get to the point where yeah. I have so much money that I don't need to do anything anymore. Yeah. And I yeah. can just okay. hang out. I mean, this is why mm-hmm. we need to bring back. Uh, residuals in a big way like yesterday those are gone honey (laughs) those are never coming back they need to come back you don't understand i need to be able to remodel my kitchen with like the residuals from one episode right like a nancy myers remodeling yes Mm -hmm. yeah christine taylor is so pitch perfect as Marsha, and like she is Mm -hmm. in so many sort of classic early late 90s early 2000s like the wedding singer zoolander dodgeball like craft trio Mm -hmm. right there is like so powerful and rings in my head and then of course gary cole also in dodgeball so there's like a lot of cross-pollination happening within this set for like who's working with who so it just makes sense then also that like everyone kind of got along and that this was like they had the chemistry they had because it feels like everyone was just happy with each other it doesn't feel like there was like animosity at all which works to the benefit of the movie obviously mm-hmm. yeah did you look up uh the actor who played greg to see what his other big role was christopher daniel barnes let's find out as spider-man in spider-man and, animated show and and he's prince eric in the little mermaid no oh, way shit. okay is that wild so that he was is like wild. a child. He was like a child. He was like, I think he was younger than Prince Eric actually is in the movie voicing Prince Eric. Yeah. And he's like maybe early 20s playing Greg in this. Yeah. Uh, but he has that like very deep voice. He is a very good voiceover artist. It's just that like, it's so weird thinking about like, oh, Prince Eric was like a child. He was a <laughs> right. teenager. And That's now he yeah. does like wild. a lot of video games. He's like Spider-Man in like a bunch of video games. Um, that's mm-hmm. wow. wild. Um, well, that's I mean, bananas. that sort of mirrors the other, uh, the son's voice who drops, right? <laughs> yes. Um, mm. Peter Brady. Right. Where he's just like mm-hmm. talking Little with kid. the most raspy. Then all of a sudden he's like, well, hello there. It's that's me. so funny. Mm-hmm. He get, not only does his voice, not only do uh, essentially his balls drop when a girl kisses him for the first time, but he also becomes Southern. Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mysterious. Yep. Yes. That's what happens when not you go explained- through puberty. I don't think there's actually any, I think that is wholly unique to this movie. I think there's an episode where his voice changes, but uh, the resolution is unique to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it can be a little hornier. The girl who kisses him, by the way, is Giovanni Rabisi's sister. She's a <laughs> Rabisi. That, the, the clan. She seems like she is Marissa a little Rabisi. more normal than Giovanni is. I'll give her that. She, she doesn't mm-hmm. take the unhinged roles that he does. She's cute in this. No. Yeah. Oh, yep. my God. Totally. Once again, everyone really is on the same wavelength. Uh, you don't get a sense that anyone is out of place, no. really. The Dittmeyer son, I can't remember who the character's name is, but he's played mm. by a uh, very handsome actor named Jack Noseworthy. Yeah, he's uh, so cute. Gay, gay, gay guy, gay actor. 
Hell yeah. Perfect. I yeah, love course. to see a gay actor play a total douchebag role and mm-hmm. just absolutely kill it. Because you're sure they understand it from personal experience. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, he's really hot. Like, oh, I was yeah. like, yeah. wow, hot that cast. jawline. Hot yeah. cast. Yeah. I mean, James Avery coming in as like the neighbor when he popped up. I was like, okay, where are we in the Fresh Prince timeline? Yes. What's happening mm-hmm. here? On the neighbors, I noticed that there's like a sneaky gay couple in that ending scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe right. they are identified when uh, Mr. Brady is talking about like how much we all love what our neighbors do. But I was like, I see you. I see you. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're there. Cute gay couple yes. in the back. Like, touching each other and like you're like hey yeah that's a couple like you can't mistake them for anything else and i just like that they made a commitment it's like we're gonna make america look at gay people right Mm -hmm. they have to yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there's not a ton of uh people of color in the small town but there is probably more than the original uh 1970s show although i will say in classic 1995 fashion they just like can't quite get there there is a horrible like obligatory racist like gong sound every time the oh, Japanese yeah. businessmen yeah. show up I was like y'all yeah. that's a good point <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah we wouldn't we... on yeah not good they were they were really focused on like the queer representation that they, <laughs> they sort didn't of forgot realize that, that they, they made a racism yeah mm-hmm. yeah o- oops, oops. <laughs> that does happen sometimes yeah I do love that he's like building a the fast food restaurant and you like see the design and it's just a home Mm -hmm. so it's like ah yes this perfect fast food restaurant where can we put it a home a nice house yes sure i like how in so the in the original show he's like a successful architect that's his job and in this he is not he's not he's not very he's not very good at his job (laughs) he's terrible that 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 is also unique to this that he has this very particular problem um Yeah. Yeah. It works though. Um, and I also think that like the decision to juxtapose what seems to be just B-roll from the streets of Los Angeles with the idyllic nature of the Brady's home. And then like basically the second they leave their street, yes. have it turn into yes. like downtown, like the metal dropping LA yeah. um right. is amazing. Like yeah. starting with all these shots of like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it did it did make me because that is basically where I live right now. And I was like, oh, home. Mm. Good to see it was like just as trashy back in 1995. There was like the there's the whole line about like gang war happening, uh, right? And stuff gang like war, that. Right. like right. traffic, smog, earthquake. Right. Have a nice day. Yeah, yeah. It, it is weird thinking that like I live in Los Angeles now. I didn't used to, and this would have been one of the first movies I saw that like took place in like what showing like LA is kind of gross and bad and yeah. it was it's weirdly nostalgic to be like I've I know where that place is in real life like I I've, I've been there I mm. th- this is this is not a wholly like alien concept to me now Mm-hmm. Yes, I will say mm-hmm. the Brady household is in Studio City, and I live very close to Studio City without geotagging my location. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But let's just say, like that neighborhood that it's in is so cute. Like I'll walk around and run around in there sometimes, and it makes so much sense that you go over the hill and you have like this idyllic Brady little small neighborhood, and you cross the hill and it's just hell yes. and chaos. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is that is the appeal of Studio City is that it's yeah. this weird super idyllic suburb right in the middle of you know downtown north hollywood that's kind of iconic jordan you moved from the fast and furious house street to the brady Brady bunch Bunch. (laughs) that that 
It's not very bad. emblematic of my that, LA experience. If you stumble yeah, around LA for about 10 minutes, you'll probably run into a filming location. Oh my God. Yeah. I still remember the first time I went to Pasadena, I was wandering around. I turned a corner and I was like, that's the Parks and Rec courthouse. <laughs> How did I never know that yeah. it was the Pasadena courthouse? I was shook. So I told you, we just did an episode about Mama's Family and the Mama's yes. Family house is also in Halloween. And I'm like, that's <laughs> the weirdest thing in the world that like it's, it gets to be both, but it is in fact... Uh, the place where Jamie Lee Curtis's blonde friend lives. Oh. And like once it's pointed out, I was like, all right. They're like, I guess if you just have an interesting house in Los Angeles long enough, you get to be in everything. And that's it just cool. comes around People again. People will find you and use yes. you for yeah. exteriors in some way, shape or form. Well, it's like the whole thing with this house. There was a huge like remodel. Uh, right? Well, there's the remodeling. And then when it went up for sale, there was like a bidding war and HGTV one. But Lance Bass was involved, which is fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. it's like it is like an iconic house like it makes sense that it would be one of those things that like everybody wants to get their hands on you know yeah because of the exterior but yeah and then there was the reality show starring the adult brady kids right about the random i didn't watch it because it seemed boring but um i'm glad that like they were like well we're all still alive let's make this show like while we can time's running out we gotta get this in (laughs) i mean not no right yeah Yeah. honestly wow yeah i mean this i think that like this is just one of those sitcoms that like is so ingrained in popular culture and really does have a very set, you know, a set like cultural familiarity associated with someone says the Brady Bunch, like, you know, exactly what to right. picture. I think that, I don't know. Again, I'm just really impressed how much this movie was able to do. Like, and also nothing sexier than a 90 minute movie all in the span of I don't, 90 it, less than 90. It's like it's really 128. Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I started this at like seven o'clock, and I was like, "I still have a night left." What? What? That's that's absolutely bizarre. I know. Yeah. What's right? going it's on? Crazy. They even have room for a whole Davy Jones musical number in the middle of mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to all the moms being obsessed with Davy Jones. I was like, "Good bit." Also, a good song. The monkeys are good. Very good song, and the combination of like the grunge cover of that is like, "Oh, this is a very good metaphor for what this movie's doing," mm-hmm. and it's. A joke, but like watching it, I'm like, oh, this just kind of makes me happy. Like, this is just like a joyous, like weird thing they put into a movie. And it, I don't know. But I, I stopped taking notes when I was watching that and was just like, I, I want to live in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's excellent. I would love to live in this movie. It seems like so fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good. I also, the kids, even though, of course, Marsha says, but Jan, you don't have any friends. Like, Marsha Loki doesn't have any friends either, Marcia except for Maureen. No. Like, nobody yeah. has any friends. No. They're, I mean, the, the no. eldest yeah. guy keeps trying to date women, and they're and all like, all the get the fuck away from running. me, you freak. I love that they're running away from him, because not because he's too respectful and like a, ha, women only want bad boys type of way, but like, he's too weird and yes. like formal and keeps calling them groovy chicks and they're like this is <laughs> yeah once again it's not 1970 the the slightly like bizarre supernatural bend to the fact that not only are the parents of the 70s but like everyone in the family is of the 70s and seems to have never picked up social cues from mm-hmm. anyone in their own age group mm-hmm. is right just really incredible and the commitment to that for the entire runtime is amazing i think it would have been so easy to give one of the kids a wait do i need to like get in touch with the kids around me do i need to like become of the 90s right um instead we get Mm -hmm. delightfully unhinged jan i have voices in my head and i think i need to run away from home because nobody appreciates me until a really you know cute elderly female trucker picks me up and gives me a chat about life 
So good by cameo. the way, so that's the original. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't, I, I, sometimes I step back from doing this kind of stuff because I feel like there's like a distasteful element to it, but that actress, Ambie Davis was probably herself a gay woman and, Listen, uh, I was, was going to say from it, a d- so yeah. I think the fact that they have her play a truck driver is like itself kind of a joke about that, but like after Brady Bunch, she kept playing Alice for all the reunion stuff. She loved the Brady Bunch stuff, but she like sort of retired on like a religious commune and lived on her own and never married. And it's like, yeah, okay. I, I, I can imagine that for a very specific sort of queer woman who didn't really see being out as an option, this mm-hmm. is the life you lead and it's not bad. And I like, I hope that she thought playing a flannel wearing truck driver was funny when she got cast at that role. I hope so too. Yeah. And it, it is a very good little scene. And I think like she shines as a character, obviously like, you know, it feels like a cameo, but in a, in a good way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, I think for a lot of queer, I think probably particularly women watching like sitcoms of this, this early era are really just like, you know, show TV shows. Like there is sometimes an unmarried woman who is far enough removed from kind of like whatever the central family element is that like you connect with them. In this case, it is like, you know, their housekeeper, their, right. their living mm-hmm. maid who they make an in-joke about how the Brady's don't pay her. She just does it because she really nope. likes them. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's also horny too. Yeah, I was going to say there is yep. a delivering some meat line mm-hmm. from her butcher boyfriend, which is... Made Incredible. me like cackle out loud because I was just not expecting it. And like her sexy, like it's, I don't know. I don't think it's leather. I think it's black lingerie that we see her in for a second. And she like runs away and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so it's, good. It's great. Yeah. She pops up in it again at the end, kind of like um, zoom boxes, she does. Uh, mm-hmm. dance off. RuPaul appears. Everybody appears. Everyone's there. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say on, just on the quick is Pete. No, Greg Brady, the older Brady. Yeah. Yes, the oldest I'm Brady. sorry. I'm so bad with the Brady names. This Listen. is look. I'm learning to love the Brady. <laughs> um, but the, the thing that got me the most with him was he comes out of the bathroom after shaving and he is just like covered in shaving like incidences. Like he has the little toilet paper all yes, over his all face. Over his face. And no one acknowledges it. No one says anything. It's just a visual gag, but it's so good. And that's what works in this movie is it like it's throwing like three, like the joke per minute is ratio is fucking incredible. Yes. Yeah. Like naked gun level or airplane level almost. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And yeah. I think to me that is a pretty essential element of what separates like camp comedy from straight people comedy or general comedy is like the joke per minute ratio has to have like it has to be at a certain level in my opinion and also has to be like speaking to a certain thing like Mm -hmm. obviously all of kind of like the sneaky sex jokes in here I think like are the best example of that but things like him first of all being completely clean shaven and then uh (laughs) shaving Mm -hmm. and nobody acknowledging that or even the runner of jan brush or sorry of marcia brushing her hair five thousand times like every that's (laughs) never acknowledged i think there's just whatever it's like i can't explain it i can't describe it but i know it when i see it Mm -hmm. type of thing it just to me because like airplane and naked gun i think are also examples of like drawing from those elements of of camp what they're parodying comedy and everything. Yeah. yeah drew i would be curious to hear um sort of like your perspective on like i don't know the camp aspects of this movie and like what sticks out what makes it so head and shoulders 
above. I think so. Like I'm biased because I just had never seen anything like this. Didn't know something like this could exist. So when I saw what they were doing, I think it like literally shoved me in a different way of thinking about media ever since yeah. of like engaging with it and like digging through it and picking it apart, which is probably why I have a podcast now, <laughs> um, because that's what I mean. Queer people love doing that. Um, and I think it was, uh, I don't think any of the other movie to, uh, to sitcom to movie adaptations ever really did it as successfully in the same way. Now that I think about it, but um, I feel like what is maybe the campiest thing about it is they're showing that the family unit is like a forced performance yeah. and the Brady's get along really fine, but the Brady's are not normal humans. Like they are like <laughs> robots. Yeah. And it, I, I think having a podcast about sitcoms, uh, I think the thing that gets like conveyed to me is like how the family unit can actually be very toxic in that it like prevents people from doing what they want to do. And I think what this movie's greatest artistic uh, thing to do, listen, how do I put this? This movie's greatest artistic feat is to show that the family unit may not actually work the yeah. way TV tells us yeah. it is. Yeah. And it only works in this one case. And the reality is actually probably more like the Dittmeyers where mm -hmm. they are four hateful people that like really should not ever be in the same room again. And um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is this is an assault on the American family and it's better for it. How does that yeah. work? Does that make sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. And I think that like pointing out that not only are the Brady's kind of like the exception in this universe, which is like, you know, a slightly heightened version of 1995, but like they are not like any other family ever, ever. is mm -hmm. yeah. kind of crucial to the movie's messaging, but also yeah. to what makes the humor work. Right. And like the idea that, cause a lot of camp and performance about camp involves like being winking to the audience while also maintaining the integrity of like the performance that you're putting on. Like we mm -hmm. buy that all the Brady's love each other and they are this perfect family, but we also buy that that's insane. No, I agree. I think that's a very, very good way to put it. I also, mm. I think like the sort of like the piece that I wasn't able to find a lot of concrete evidence on, but that I heard was that there was a lot of like, stuff that was shot for this movie mm. that didn't end up making the final cut because um, executive producer Sherwood Sharp Schwartz, um, who created like the original characters um, was not happy with it, but I wasn't, I like tried to do some digging and I didn't find anything specific. I don't mm. know if you did. I did not. No. Listen, I feel like we're, was... a, we're a two man research team. And sometimes, sometimes, but I think it I think happen. honestly, it's probably was like a thing of like how much can you parody versus how much can you not, and like walking that very fine line. Yeah, like yeah. It, where it feels like to the point of like, are you making actually fun of the characters I created versus, you know, yeah, the material itself. Yeah, but so like, and like what's in the movie, I think treads the line very very well. But um, yeah. I've never seen any of the deleted scenes from this, and it is a pity because like one of them is uh, Maureen McCormick who played the original Marsha Brady filmed an entire scene. And they didn't use her. And I'm like, well, that kind of sucks. Like, you should have used all the non-dead Brady cast members. And right. they did not do that. I think Marsha and Cindy, I think Jan was like, I don't want to do it. Do it without me, which I love. But uh, <laughs> very Marcia Jan. Very Jan, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're not in the final cut of the movie. And uh, maybe we'll never know what that scene was. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, just to put it out there, who, if, you're, if you have to tag yourself as a Brady, what Brady are you? Jan. Um, 
I don't want to say I'm Marsha, but probably. <laughs> if I'm being honest, who are you? The dad for sure. Oh, oh my god, you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, you are. That everything out of his mouth, I was like, ooh, taking notes. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna use this later. <laughs> maybe if I knew more about the boys, because maybe I'm Bobby, Bobby youngest the rule boy, one. the rule, the rule follower. It does feel kind of you? I don't mm-hmm. think that I'm as shallow as Marsha. So maybe I'm Bob. I don't think you're as shallow as Marsha. <laughs> yeah, but I'm definitely not. You're Jan. a combo. Yes. I, I'm i a Bobby son with a Marsha rising. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I just all look. All I'm saying is that all I'm looking for in any relationship now is just the the pure love that these two have for each other. The put your bookmark in, Mr. Brady. I just so we can want get that. busy. <laughs> like that um, is inc- that's the love I'm th- searching for. Jordan was born to be like the healthiest suburban dad in existence. <laughs> like you were born to coach five little league teams simultaneously and to like bake enough bagels to feed a family of eight that is worth my calling i just really want that to happen for you thank you thank you i'll just live out my sitcom dreams i'll move into the brady house i was gonna say this is an open you know now it's it's out there Mm, sure you have our email you know how to get in touch (laughs) i'm jordan's number one wingman thank you i take that responsibility very seriously cutting this off <laughs> anywho um uh, are there any scenes or moments that we love from this that we haven't mentioned or like little quotes or bits that we might have missed over uh i mean there are so many that i could go through but i don't want to like we just won't just read out off. the entire script yeah. but just know this yeah. movie is worth a watch for the jokes alone yes um yeah. drew was there any sort of additional context, additional things you wanted to talk about? I think that's everything. I'm sure there's something else. Um, I do encourage you to watch the sequel um, someday when you want to watch something that is a strong comedy that you otherwise don't really have to think about. Uh, I think you'll enjoy where they take all the characters in that movie. And I think Shelley Long is even better in that movie than she is in this movie. Oh, well, that's reason enough. And uh, I have to see the George Glass scene. Like, yeah. it's essential. So upon doing research, I was curious about, like, TV to movie adaptations, as we were talking about, that made, like, box office. So I was expecting, like, oh, my God, we're going to see some real fun ones. But it is really, like, if you look at the top 10, I was going to do a game for you guys. It's not even worth playing because it's just Transformers, Mission Impossibles, and then the Simpsons movie is at number, number 10. 10. That is so crazy. First of all, yeah. I mean, I guess I knew the Transformers was An a TV show, yes. but it is literally just all of them five yeah. transformers movies and four mission impossible yeah, movies yeah. It is that's like, bananas but then alvin and the chipmunks yeah, the squeakle is number 13 on this Let's list so like go. she is killing it you oh know? my god betty thomas box office legend yeah is the flintstones movie on that list at the all fl- yes it is the flintstones is number 18 uh followed by the fugitive at 19 and the alvin fugitive. and the chipmunks the chipwrecked uh is 20 yeah yeah, I will say I, though. I think Flint. Oh no, go I for think it. Flintstones and Fugitive both hit theaters before this movie did. So I think by some standards, they were hoping that like Brady Bunch was going to make Flintstones money, which it did not. It also no. did not cost nearly as much money as the Flintstones did. Yeah. I was just say they didn't build a small town that you can visit yeah. like the Flintstones movie <laughs> did. Just for perspective, mm. the Flintstones movie made three hundred and fifty-eight million dollars globally. Crazy. That is. That's- insane i will say i watched that movie for the first time last year it's not a great movie by any means halle berry is killing it though but the production design and the set design and the costuming is almost worth the watch because of how 
they just built everything and it feels yeah. like that animated show come to life and i haven't ever seen anything like it before and i don't nor maybe mm. ever will so it's just a really fascinating sort of artifact of time yeah yeah i think that right. the uh the commitment and the production design and the costume design in this movie are also oh they're fantastic very yeah. good like i think we mentioned it but they really do build out something like that looks yeah. very very good cinematically yeah um mm -hmm. yeah and i mean it did okay at the box office i How wasn't able to find any budget info but it made 50 million domestically it does not seem There's like it no was released was internationally billion. um no no way this cost 50 million i have but i have no idea how much it cost no. but it made its money back and it opened number one it opened in february of 1995 so kind of in the dead zone mm -hmm. um but mm -hmm. you know it played through june of that year That's it kind of collected That's its great. cash and went on its way it was number one for two weeks uh, it opened it, it, at its uh, widest. It was in 1900 theaters. So hey, overall, not very bad. good showing yeah. for the Brady Bunch movie and enough that it got at least two sequels, right? A Brady Bunch sequel and the White the... House one. <laughs> so that was a TV movie sequel. And as big a fan as I am of the first two, I've never seen the third one. Although it is Gary Cole and Shelley Long again. I think they wow. asked all the kids though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes sense. The kids are growing. I was just saying they probably were way older than they can be. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it did okay. And um. This is like, again, I don't think that I would have ever watched this movie if no. you hadn't brought it to our attention, Drew. And I really do feel like I experienced something special. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was it's so, so delightful. charming. Yeah, no, I'm really glad I got to see this movie because I guess it's been kicking around. Like a lot of my friends always talk about how camp and like queer like it's sort mm. of like a queer classic in the sense of like how campy it is it's a like, weird queer classic but we'll talk i guess like mm. we'll do it when we do our sort of ratings yeah. but like it's not maybe not the queerest movie of all textually. time textually but like the camp elements and like what it's saying about american families is inherently like a very queer thing and how it's satirizing it and like discussing it within the 90s lens so i think it's enjoyable though i think everyone should go see it so yes but couldn't agree more what does the letterbox community think, Brooke? We got to see. That's a great question. Um, so, would you care to put in a guess? By the way, Drew, you're welcome to put in a guess too, but no pressure. I will, but um, I don't think it's going to be as high as we think because, like, I think that there are going to be definitely be people who are like, oh, whatever. Maybe the people don't understand. Exactly. Maybe it was too ahead of its time. It might for be too ahead people. of its time. I'm going to go with like a three, four. Okay, Drew. I was going to guess three, two. That's sad. Well, I have bad news for both of you. Is it worse? It's a 3 1. Wow. So most people give it three stars, which in my opinion That's is a little way rude. too yeah. low. But I was looking mm. at like a little bit of like the critical response. And while this movie was like generally favorably reviewed, like some people were like, okay, it's not that funny. And I was like, maybe you're just mm. too straight for this movie. <laughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. Wow. Rude. I know. A little rude. But I would, uh, as I was saying before, I do, we do have some mutual friends who really love this movie. And there's some some pretty high quality five star reviews on Letterboxd, like with like full dissertations about why this movie is so good. So you know, give it a look. The, there are people very much in the know, and I honestly feel like it's a very textually rich movie, and you could write a lot about like oh, gotcha. what it's unpacking. And I mean, clearly, we just talked about right. it for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um. But yeah, good yeah, movie good overall. Movie. However, How adding our movie? own voices to the fray, where is it landing on the QQ? Um. Lead us off. I will, Mrs. Brady. Thank you. I think that given kind of like the commitment to camp, mm -hmm. the commitment to 
putting in these small queer elements textually the rupaul scene um noreen's arc Mm -hmm. kind of like looking at this healthy quote-unquote nuclear family in a way that both like embraces the positives and like satirizes how uncommon this is in kind of like general society and how heterosexual family life is like maybe a little bit of a plague unless you are the Brady's, the Brady's who are weird outliers. It's all really well, in, interesting. In them being outliers, it is inherently them yeah. sort of being queer as we were talking about with the Munsters and stuff like that. It's like yeah. when you have an outsider family, you can sort of track on whether or not they're like from a diverse background, whether or not they're queer, mm-hmm. like no matter what they are, an outsider and an other. Yes. So by doing the othering, you can read into that, you know? And I think, uh, as mm. you said earlier, Drew, combining kind of like that sense of like othering with the idea of performance is mm-hmm. weirdly kind of like through very, very straight means this sense of like queerness. Yeah. It's, it's listen. It's it's a bit of a stretch, but I think that you can actually make a pretty good argument for it. So overall, I was just blown away with how committed and campy this movie was. I think I'm going to give it four stars. I was going to say you. I'm going to I'm going to hold the line with you and okay. do a four as well. It feels very right. I think like having Noreen have an arc, be a character. It's not the gay best friend where they're sort of shunted to the side and made fun of that they're gay. It's like very knowing and accepting of their queerness which is really cool and i also love how i don't know it just never feels mean to her and it's so rare where you have a queer character in this time where it's not the jokes She's of her being queer the are joke. the expense yeah. of her queerness yeah. yeah and i again rupaul plus i think no matter what you do with a camp element like this it is satirizing heterosexuality or at least like 90s versions of it so i'm gonna go with the four as well let's go yeah I still can't believe this was the movie that introduced RuPaul to straight audiences. That's like, crazy. That's bananas. Drew, how you feeling? I'm going to agree with you. This is actually my definition of what a four-star movie is. Mm. It is not a four-star movie for everyone, but uh, it is definitely a four-star movie for me that I have yet to get tired of watching for all the reasons that you both just described. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love Look it. Look at that. Fours across the board. My God. We could be in the Brady bunch We're walking with down how the stairs well together. We're getting along. The fact that everyone is so insane because they're walking down the stairs, hard, hard shit to do, especially when your cast members yep. are like six and nine. I'm incredibly impressed. Right. Hell yeah. That's the Brady bunch. That was the Brady this bunch. Is a great movie. I highly recommend it. And once again, I just want to thank you so much for bringing it to our attention. Well, I'm glad you guys both liked it. Yes, it was a pitch that I don't think we would have ever considered, but we are incredibly happy that we were able to do it. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for being on my show. And by the way, if uh, we can find another bisexual themed episode of a sitcom, we'd love to have you on as well. Oh. We'd be delighted. Um, It was a blast. And of course, we're down anytime always down um i'm way less knowledgeable about tv but we're getting there mm. we're I, listening we finally we're found learning. the one thing where maybe i know more about it than jordan does yeah no it's kind of crazy shocking yeah the tv world is not mine um, but hey but hey we're very lucky to have you here drew and obviously you are always doing very cool things um if people are not familiar with your work where can they find you and what are you up to our podcast is called gayest episode ever i co-host it with my roommate glenn lichen who is mm-hmm. a filmmaker i he approaches as a screenwriter i approach as a journalist and we pick apart lgbtq centric episodes of classic sitcoms uh there is an episode we did with brooke about brooklyn 99 i did really well for us actually i think because brooklyn 99 still has such a buzz but also it's a really good episode about uh, a bisexual character 
like specifically saying I am by and like explaining what that means to everyone. Mm. And um, I'm glad we got to do that with you because that is a, that is an episode I would not have necessarily had a chance to get to uh, without you suggesting it as early on as you did. Oh. Um, we have some bonus stuff. We have, of course, we have a Patreon, and one of our Patreon series is the Shelley Longcast, where we actually <laughs> reviewed all of the movies of Shelley Long, including wow. this, but including. All the other things like Troop Beverly Hills and how that is uh, such a better movie than anyone ever wants to give it credit for being. And then most recently, our 12-episode uh, bonus podcast was The Cartoons That Made Us Gay, which is all about cartoons from the 80s and 90s that, after the fact, seem really fucking gay. That is something that I could talk about because Batman the Animated Series and a lot of those cartoons have a lot going on there. <laughs> so that so makes we sense. We had done... We had done the Harley and Ivy episode like early on. We were experimenting like, can we do this? So we wanted to do another one for this series. And we ended up doing the episode that introduces the character of Clayface. Oh, which oh, I was not on my was not on my radar. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is a gay couple. This is like an abusive gay couple that this is about. What a strange thing to put on children's entertainment. But yeah. how valuable for them. Yeah. It rules. Yes. Oh yeah. Batman the animated series. Perfect I mean, show. you can go so deep on that. Yeah. Amazing, by the way. I'm really glad to hear that about the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. <laughs> that makes me so happy. And it was truly a pleasure. And I, that was like a sitcom that was like weirdly very formative to mm-hmm. me um, and kind of like that era. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. amazing. Well, everyone should obviously listen to Gayest Episode Ever. It's the best. I do have one question. I'm sorry. If you were to say, what would be the gayest show that you have covered? Ooh, sort of like as like, a whole? As a whole, what's the gayest sitcom? Is that okay, a, is so that an impossible question? Contenders would include the Golden Girls because so much of the Golden Girls is about chosen family and mm-hmm. has been so embraced. Um, although sometimes when they deal with uh, queer subjects, they fuck it up. Mm. Um, so that's not so great. But then uh, The Simpsons might be in there because The Simpsons has been on for 34 seasons. Yeah. And um, they've done so many gay episodes at this point. I don't know if uh, this was a known thing, but I did a video compilation of every gay joke on the history of The Simpsons. Oh, my God. I'm going to go watch that now. Yeah, we're going to need the it's, link. It's uh, gayestepisodeever.com slash Smithers. I was going to say, is it just Smithers? <laughs> it's, it's, it's two and a half hours long. It's a Marvel movie length supercut of The Simpsons. Um, that rules. And that's, that's the most formative show for me. And it did inform my ideas of like what queer people were in a way that like was not always the healthiest. But um Maybe The Simpsons. Maybe The Simpsons. Uh, then as yeah. a third guest, um, Small Wonder, the show about the little mm. girl robot. The bi- and I'm not going to explain that one. I'm just going to say that that's my, that's my third offering. Okay. Uh, that sounds like Jordan's dream show, a show about maybe sad, maybe gay robots. Yeah, that I think you would great. love that. Yeah. 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 Well, um, The Simpsons, was, that is, uh, we do have The Simpsons movie on our list because it's like the only way we could do it. But like Smithers is... The Smithers Burns dynamic is I mean, so funny. I'm I'm sensing a a guest spot we'll to talk about happen. the Simpsons. We'll make something happen. The, I mean, there is a good half dozen gay episodes of The Simpsons that we still have yet to go through. So, I mean, look, you're welcome you, to come talk about The Simpsons. Are you saying that there's a lot of episodes of The Simpsons? <laughs> That's crazy. What? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! It's like what? I think it's like seven hundred something. Dear Lord, my God. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a pretty good TM. That's crazy. You got plenty uh, to yeah. get Too through. Too many episodes. Too many episodes. Well, we 
are also on social media doing yes, things, are. chatting things, mostly on Twitter. I'm at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we're together at Queer Quadrant. And we're also on Letterboxd at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And you can find this podcast on Spotify, on Apple, in the suburbs of California, wherever else you care to get your podcast. Drop us a rate. Five Brady's only. <laughs> Although I guess that would be five <laughs> out of eight so eight ladies <laughs> only. only um leave us a review subscribe if you're feeling extra nice and brady bunch-esque and tweet at us tell us what you think about this film what you think about the brady bunch in general and what you might like to see us cover in the future and brooke what are we covering in the future we're actually kind of staying in like fun comedy land yes, which we is are. surprising we usually don't stay I there for know. very long but next week we are covering my best friend's wedding another very stealth exciting. queer classic that i feel like is going to be an extremely interesting discussion i cannot wait to to rewatch that film yes and Jordan, do you have anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, Brooke, just remember, your judging of your friends for judging you is judging. And if there was judgment that you were casting on your friend's judgment, then it would be judgment. I don't know how it goes, but long story short, remember that. I'm going to cast you as Mike Brady in the inevitable reboot. Thank you. You're welcome.